this episode of the Sustainable Fashion Podcast, we're talking about greenwashing. What is it and why is it so damaging? Raising Your Consciousness is a podcast show that I've put together to help bring the sustainability conversation to the everyday consumer. And Spotify Green Room is the perfect platform for this conversation. So thanks for joining us here. Um, you can connect with me if you are a fashion business that would like support to reach more people and make more impact by pushing forward the sustainable fashion message on Mondays at 4 p.m. BST. I host a Zoom presentation and that's all about how fashion brands are engaging with sustainability. And it's also um, where I share a little bit more about the work I do at the Global Fashion Marketplace. So if you're interested in finding out more about the work that I do with sustainable fashion businesses, you can DM me on Instagram and um, I'll send you the link for Monday's Zoom presentation that takes place every Monday. Um, So you can just search Global Fashion Marketplace on Instagram. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing some definitions um, to help you raise your consciousness about ethical and sustainable issues that affect us all. And I'll be, I'm using the Good On You glossary for sustainable fashion. So it's a, it's a guide to help our discussion and you can, and it provides some insights into some key points of sustainability. So if you want to follow the conversation and some of the definitions, you're not familiar with them, then you can get the full glossary from me on Instagram as well. Just send me a, a direct message on Instagram and um, I'll send you the link to the glossary so you'll be able to follow on with the conversation. So today's conversation is about greenwashing. And I see there's a few people here. Um, Sonia, Samuel, Katie and Shazia, I'm so glad you can join. Hopefully you guys can contribute to the conversation. But if you, I know some people are in London, so it's late. So um you can just listen but if you want to chip in in some points then you can definitely come up on stage just raise your hand and I'll bring you up to participate in the conversation so I'll just give you the definition and then I'll raise my questions then you can come up and participate so greenwashing is the use of marketing to portray an organization's products activities or policies as environmentally friendly when they're not so why are brands greenwashing and why is it a bad thing so um the main point of this conversation really is to like I've got some points that I want to share how can we tell when fashion brands are greenwashing but just to kick off the conversation if you do want to give your definition of greenwashing based on what I've said to start the conversation just raise your hand and come up and then I'll move into the second part of the conversation um how can we tell when fashion brands are greenwashing so does anyone want to come up and just like why are brands greenwashing and why is this a bad thing does anyone have any thoughts that they want to share on that before I move on to the main conversation raise your hand and and join me hey Samuel welcome great to have you back as usual yeah so what are your thoughts why yeah, it's great to have you. So why are brands greenwashing and why is it a bad thing before we before we move into the main segment of this conversation today? Sure. So greenwashing, the brands are, um, are greenwashing because the consumer um, understands enough to know that they want something that is sustainable, but uh, not enough to understand how something is. And so greenwashing takes advantage of, of that lack of knowledge. Um, and it's basically a marketing play uh, to sell um you know, non non uh, non good acting clothes to well meaning people. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Um, so how can we tell when fashion brands are being washing? So there's there's two different ways that we can have this conversation. Um, I can go through some of the points that I've um discovered or looked into, and then we can talk about those points. Or you can um give your feedback and then I can add my points after you've given your feedback. So there's two ways we can have the conversation. Do you want to hear what I've got got, and then give feedback on that? Was that a flash of the mic? Meaning I mean, oh, I, yes, I would love to. I would love to uh, hear that. Okay. So um, what I've got 
basically from a bit of research and from the glossary that I've referred to, I've got a few points, but I've got a few questions on those points as well. So you can chip in at any point as I'm sharing these points to, to share your opinion. I don't need to go through all of them before you um, share your thoughts. So one of the points is how you can tell fashion brands are greenwashing is if they have impressive sounding initiatives to reduce carbon emissions from head office. So I was thinking like um, things like dated, like by 2030, we're going to reduce carbon emissions by X, Y, and Z, but they don't have any like proof of like how they're actually going to do that. Like you can't look into those um, facts and figures. So um, that's that could be greenwashing. So it's something that you need to look into. And then, Brands that have things like eco-friendly packaging and not much else. So they're not really talking about, when we talk about sustainability, we're talking about the three pillars of sustainability. So that's people, ethical issues, planet, the environmental issues and profit as well, how they're profitable and how they're ethical and sustainable in their business. So if they're just talking about packaging or not much else depth to it, then that could be greenwashing as well. That's one point um, that I thought was interesting. Um, misleading claims and targets. So that's, again, like the impressing sounding initiatives. So one that I have as an example um, and a question that I have with that is, are brands being re- realistic when they're setting these targets um, to start making change? So is it greenwashing or are they just optimistic? So, for example, Bo- Boohoo... Um, has set itself a target of using 100% recycled or more sustainable polyester by 2025. So there's so many things in that statement and that um, target that's interesting. And they believe that's a sustainable target to to aim for. But could that just be greenwashing? And that comes from Boohoo, a fast fashion brand. And the fact that it's polyester that they're using and then can polyester be recycled they want to use 100% recycled or sustain more sustainable polyester by 2025 2025 is just around the corner is polyester even considered sustainable there's there's so many questions that maybe consumers might not not know about that target that that could be greenwashing them so that's that's um just an example of potential greenwashing that I'd like to explain Explore as well. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, I've got two more points. Um, payments of minimum wage. So, minimum wage, just as a definition, is um, the lowest legal wage a company can pay its workers. So, this is different from a living wage, which is a fair pay that workers um, and workers' rights is a part of sustainability. So, when companies are paying their their employees the minimum wage and then they're making eco-sustainable claims, then would that company be classed as greenwashing because they are paying minimum wages to their um, staff? So that's another point. And then sustainable ranges in large companies. So this is a big one. Um, so just being cautious of um, Shazia, I'll invite you up. Um, I'm glad you want to participate. Did I get you there? One second. Um, yeah, so sustainability sustainability ranges in large companies. So be cautious of large brands using words like organic, eco-friendly and sustainably sourced. Like unless a brand has clear targets to increase their ethical range um, to more than 50, 50% of their products or working towards doing like a whole ethical business, um, it, is it greenwashing? And um, I would say truly sustainable and ethical brands want to provide disclosure and they have um, they they like to provide disclosure on the great ways that they're making their products. So we call this transparency, as you know. So um, and we need this across the industry to combat greenwashing. So this idea that um, people are using these words sustainably sourced, organic, eco-friendly and less than 50 percent of their products are ethical or sustainable is this greenwashing so they're they're my points that I've researched into and I thought 
the interesting starting points on this topic. So, yeah, Samuel and Shazia, jump in. What do you think in terms of greenwashing and, and the points that I've made up, um, I've shared about how to tell if a brand is greenwashing? Hey, Shazia. Hey, Shazia. Hi. Hi. Sorry. Like, can you hear me okay? Because I've got my headphones yeah. on. I don't yeah okay hi yeah great hi Bukola hi Samuel really good to be with you both um (laughs) great topic um I I mean you uh, Bukola you covered so many amazing points and Samuel too you described what greenwashing is so succinctly and um what what I uh what I broadly feel about the topic is that the it, you know, it is it, it it does pick up on what you raise as well. Where I think that um, you know the usual suspects of the high street, in particular, they've got they've got such big marketing budgets, and they really cannibalise the PR space connected to um, sustainability when they're just making token gestures, and it's not they hide behind they hide behind being a group. And whereas one one entity in that group might be doing um, an initiative, taking an initiative like a like a um, a take back scheme and things like that, they that there isn't enough consciousness in the media or in customers to know that actually that all all these other six brands are part of that one group, and just because yes. one one arm is Make, making an initiative that you know all they, that head office is aware that none of the rest are and so it's disingenuous because you know that yeah they're, they're literally just to get the get the get the green brownie points you know get, yeah. get, the, I mean, get the positive press yeah I think you're right. The positive press and, and the and the, the um valuations you know for the for the actual certificate but I think um in terms of the press thing, it's like if we didn't know that that company was owned by a different company, you bet you're you bet you're going to know now that that's oh they're doing that green thing over there. Yeah, but you know, Samuel, the thing is, the, the um, like I I hate mentioning them because like I just I just feel that I'm just giving them free publicity. Don't, like don't, any publicity is good publicity, anything. isn't it? Yeah, but but there's one there's one brand that is a high street staple and they sponsor they sponsor podcasts about um, ethical sustainable fashion they sponsor um, blogs they sponsor um, articles and in all the glossy magazines and everything and photo shoots and all of that and yet you know they 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 have an ethical no i'm I'm just my my point's not going to make sense if i don't say who it is okay so basically um h&m h&m group they 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 go to lengths to that when when any of their brands are covered in the, in the media they don't say um say for example they, if cost gets press or if arquette gets press or if under the stories get press that's not in brackets uh, part of the h&m group so whereas whereas h&m might might um for example have a small conscious range um customers who are older like some of my friends like they they are unaware that uh, they are unaware that cause is owned by h&m just like yeah yeah just like bershka is owned by zara just like you know so so yeah we know in confectionery we know you know we know that some chocolate brands are owned by others and nestle owns this and you know so when you want to boycott something you you're aware as a customer and if you want to be an app to this but actually that that kind of transparency and that kind of media uh acknowledgement that 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 cause just be, yeah if just because cause speaks to you as a customer and it is your kind of style um you have to be aware that you're funding the h&m group and so you know you, you know yeah you just need you just need to be aware of that and and they don't get to separate themselves because ultimately it's the h&m group that makes the profit and take in the money and share out the dividends and you know like um 
that have yeah. to answer to the same shareholders. So that's my broader point. Thank you. It, it really leads. Yeah, it really leads to my. I've only got a few questions for today because I had like a huge definition, and um, I'm I'm touching on like I want to. De- dig into some of the points that I made um, in the definition as well but this question just ties into what Shazi said so I'm going to go for it now and then we can continue the conversation so it's how do we feel about brands trying to benefit from the growing demand for sustainable and ethical clothes without taking real actions towards sustainability so anyone like we see that Kelly Marie is in the room and we still got Sonia and Katie in the room and um you guys can come up and answer this question as well. So how do you feel, like, based on what we've been discussing so far, how do you feel about brands um, benefiting from the growing demand of for sustainable clothes without taking real actions towards sustainability? And that's based on the back of what Shazi was describing as well. Well, if I may, if it's, if it's at the moment still just going to be Shazia and myself, I think um, it's pretty clear where we rely on that one. So my question, I guess, would be, how do we feel about people who don't uh, remove their, uh, who don't move around their stock options or their stock, let's say, like, let's say your portfolio is very heavy in things that we know not to be sustainable. Do you start moving around your portfolio to make sure that it is sustainable? I think that's something that, you know, because um, once we start to figure out who these people are, what do we do with that knowledge? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, for me, I would say consumers speak with their their pounds and dollars at the end of the day. So I think knowledge is power as well. Once you know the right thing to do, and that's what we're doing not raising your consciousness, we're trying to raise that consciousness that this concept of greenwashing actually takes place and what to kind of look for. So once you start discovering things about brands that you don't like and that's not in line with um, your values, I think you should definitely speak with your pounds and dollars and kind of boycott um, brands. I think that's the only way that they're actually going to get a message that like, consumers are actually serious about them taking greenwashing seriously. I don't know what you, you think, Shazia. Um, yeah, well, um, I, feel, I feel that my perspective would possibly build on Samuel's and your points where... Um, I definitely think that investors need to be more activists. They're showing that outside of the fashion sphere, they're show- it was um, activists that were forcing, um, for example, Shell and BP to become more green. And so shareholders do um, do have a role to play, a very important role. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we shouldn't let them off the hook as well. But what I feel, Bacola, about the... Um, the greenwashing and customers voting with their pounds and dollars is that like ultimately I think that you know um, I think it's a younger demographic that would maybe um, enter uh, or, or say, say for example by high street uh, fashion that's got a greenwashing element to it and I think that you know, if we think about it as a as a funnel of a of a sustainable of an ethical sustainable fashion funnel, so then I think that um, I think that these fast fashion greenwashing brands would would start kind of feed in, and then as customers raise their um, consciousness and as they realise that the brands that they've been buying from are kind of um, essentially not. Uh, they're, they're greenwashing, then I think that they would start to explore and look for other brands. So, you know, they do have, they do have quite a broad reach and um, it's maybe, you know, maybe these are entry level, um, entry level consumers, entry level people who are um, sort of dabbling or starting to get awareness about um, uh, sustainability. Um, but I th- yeah, so I think, I think that ultimately they would realize um because it's they're, they're just so they're just so embarrassingly bad at being uh, at being sustainable and they just get caught out left right and center so you know yeah. um i think that i think that customers would in the end start digging for more authentic brands and then ultimately it's independent brands isn't it that are more authentic i mean if you look yeah. at yeah so so i think that i, th- I think that in, in in a perverse kind of way um 
because they've got such big budgets, they might actually be helping to inform and educate, um, not necessarily for themselves long term, but at least raising awareness of the issues and then customers would um, go elsewhere afterwards. So I'm hoping yeah. that's what, what that's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, I've got an interesting point to bring back um, that I did mention that is um, on my mind in regards to what you're saying like entry-level consumers is one thing but then when brands are making claims like they're gonna have a target of 100 percent recycled or more sustainable polyester by 2025 like someone that knows about sustainability or kind of in the know might look at that statement with wide eyes but a consumer might not even see keywords or red flags in in that state they might be like oh yes um this brand and it is be who that said that um they're, they're trying and it's a fast fashion brand there's so many other things attached to that brand sustainability activities that is questionable so this um sustainable polyester by 2025 uh is really interesting yeah how do how do you combat that when you're your level of education is being greenwashed or your level of understanding into a topic is being greenwashed because they're using words and phrases and dates and numbers that sound appealing and interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, you know, ultimately if we're getting enough of the conversation out there through whatever means it is, maybe it's, you know, taking out, um, you know, sort of uh, PSAs, um, to discuss certain things, um, you know, if someone's looking for a sustainable space or is interested in it, and we can target that person, which we know we can do, you know, given the way we can track someone's uh, browsing, um, then it's up to us, I think, to, to let them know. Because, I mean, it's true. There's there's no way that you would know necessarily, like, you know, that even the notion of recycling is one that was packaged and given to us by the people who make plastic so that we would take yeah. it upon ourselves yeah. as a consumer to pick up their maths and make it okay in our mind that we're doing something good, even though it's really not that much you can do with it. And even when you do try and do something with it, you're using so much energy to bring it back to a place where you can put more energy back into it to turn it into something else. And that's something that I think, you know, can be explained uh, probably more, much more succinctly than what I just said, um, you know, yeah. to a consumer so that they can see that when they, when they see, you know, to start looking at recycled being like, hmm, whereas upcycled or, you know, reworked, things like that are, you know, much more in line with, something that is ultimately more sustainable. Um, I think also, um, you know, making it really clear, like what polyester is, how it's yeah. made, um, you know, how much of it is made maybe even, and and what it looks like when it goes into a dump. Like how long does it take to degrade? Oh, it doesn't yeah. because it's plastic. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted to, because obviously raising your consciousness, this conversation is to educate and inform people and like, I've brought up this statement as being problematic or interesting in the sense of like it could be greenwashing, but maybe we should uh, just have a conversation about the, the red flags in the statement um, just so people understand that we're not being like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, there is actually problematic points in this statement that have a very valid, like polyester um, being plastic and is then the the for the fact that the quote is more sustainable polyester can you have more sustainable plastic and um how um 100% recycled is that is that possible in recycling plastics and how many times can things be recycled and um i mean the fact I know, that we're I've in 2021 so the the date there is 2025 so that's in four years time so um yeah samuel do you want to just break down the red flags in this conversation well um the red flags in that conversation well um i definitely could although i did just want to say really quickly uh, shazi if you're if you're there to um to pop in and do this one uh just because i was thinking about this other thing that i had heard um coca-cola um, and what they're doing in yeah. terms of circularity is really interesting because, you know, they're not saying recycled. They're talking about reuse. And that's, I think, you know, like a great way of sort of a barometer to look at, you know, those, their metrics because, yeah, they're not great right now, but they're doing something about it. They're, they're really, you know, looking at how do we produce a product 
that once it leaves our shelves, can come, like once it leaves our warehouse, can come back to the warehouse and be used specifically for the same thing again without having to alter it, um, is one that I, I would, I would uh, you know, look at in terms of a, you know, those are the right things to say. But, um, but yeah, Shazia, do you have, do you want to take what um, Nicole just brought us? Um, or we can do it together? Yeah, yeah, it would be great to do it together. I mean, uh, okay. I, I'm... I'm quite tired. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm, um, yeah, I'm really interested. I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in the conversation. But I've done a whole day's work and I've done like a whole like evening out. And now I'm trying to like, oh, you, get you, into, and, like, your, a you and your friends, you fancy friends. Going out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts together. I mean, and you guys um, in the audience, like, um, if you do have questions on what we're saying, especially those that are not in fashion, do come up and share what you're thinking um, about where we're going to the conversation so we can tailor it and make sure you're getting the most out of the conversation because we we are a bit um, into sustainability in, um, in our work. So we might be flying a bit off the handle on our critique. Um, so definitely come up if, you, if you're not following something or you've, you've got some input to share. We'd definitely like to hear from you. Or even if you are following and it's super okay, just like put it in the, yeah. the um in the chat so we know and we can just yeah yeah keep flying yeah. along. Um, yeah, I, I mean but, the thing. Uh, sorry, go on, Samuel. Sorry, did you want to go first? I was just gonna I was just gonna ask for um uh, if we could hear the the, the statement again uh, or maybe like line by line. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll highlight. Shall I highlight the the bits that I found? interesting or potentially problematic well, I mean, I, in the statement. I, I mean, think, I think well, is that we want to read the statement without knowing what might be problematic. Well, yeah, because I would like this, uh, I would like his statement to be framed in, uh, in, in, in this, uh, well, I would just like it to be sort of noted that I don't think that the industry can mark its own homework anymore. I think that the industry is incapable of fixing the problem and it does have to be it, it does have to be a hybrid between government involvement. I'm uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure if it should be legislation or some kind of subsidies to help companies degrowth for example like you know yeah. we have to we we it's it's the unhinged nature of the industry that it's cannibalizing itself and all natural resources around it and yeah. um and it's just that perpetual model of of overproduction and the reward that comes with that no yeah. company no company is punished for this behavior not by their shareholders not by customers you know they're, they're they're clapped and they're applauded by governments as well so are governments the people to 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 get involved you know like the the the, the system it's not just fashion you know like um yeah. samuel mentioned coca-cola it's uh you know like a a decade ago, Coca-Cola would be the, com the company that all students study at university because they're a beacon of capitalism. They're a beacon of success. They're a shining model and everyone should emulate it. You know, they've, like, yeah. they, they've just nailed their marketing and everything. We're supposed to want to be them and be employed by them and everything. And look how much things have changed since then, you know? Well, but and the, think... the lifestyle of a, of a Coke bottle is so much different than it is yeah. what you can change on your body ever since. Yeah. You're looking at people who are doing it, and you know the people who are influencing this thing—not necessarily just influencers, because I think sometimes we we make them to be a much larger monolith than they are, and also don't give enough credit to the micro influencers who are also just as bad. Um, but I think that you know it's like you know it, the, people are being sold a bad bill of goods, and they've been buying it for two decades, and here we yeah. are. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, so, so my Nicola, did you want to saying, go through your statement and what Samuel yeah. and I will tackle it? <laughs> okay, so what I'm asking, are brands setting realistic targets to start making a change? So the question is, maybe they are not being realistic, maybe because they don't know, or maybe they know they're not being well, realistic. Well, but now, but now, but now what, yeah. how do we define realism? How do we define realistic? Is realistic, you know, okay, are we are that fast, or is realistic, we can't possibly wait that long? Yeah, I'll, I'll read the statement and then we can see whether it's realistic target or if it's greenwashing or 
what this statement might how it might be problematic so this brand has set itself a target of using 100% recycled or more sustainable polyester by 2025. What's more than... Oh, all right, maybe the way I said it, 100% recycled polyester <laughs> or more it. sustainable polyester by 2025. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, now, now, okay. Well, um, if if I wanted to nitpick, I could say uh-huh. that these that, <laughs> that, that I could say that these companies uh, have got the resources and the forward planning to start implementing um, one to two seasons ahead. So, if they were, if they if if they really meant it, they could uh, say say, for example, yeah. So. You know that brands now, um, apart from basics like um, vests and leggings and things like that, which are which are you know those orders are placed by uh, by brands like two, up to two years in advance. I mean, you know, all the rest of the fast fashion stuff they're they're producing like two weeks ahead or you know you know maximum like you know three months ahead. So why are they not able to implement those kind of changes like earlier and sooner? And you know at least phase it in um i mean they do, you know so so you, you know when does the transition begin so i think i think setting dates such as 2025 when you're a fast fashion brand and you're living like month to you know that their, their, their cycles are month to month i think it's a bit disingenuous and i think that they could they could show that they really mean it by by making more short-term changes just to um, as a signal but um yeah that's me I like that uh, a lot. I also like that, um, you know, I, th- I think that, that uh, you know, 2025 is, is probably one of the better numbers we've seen, to be entirely honest, even though it's not, uh, it's nearly not, you know, everything needs, everything needs to change yesterday, let's be honest. But um, in terms of 2025, I mean, I think someone was saying 2030 or 20, no, sorry, 2050, it was 2050 was one was someone who said that, which was sort of like, are you out of your mind? And then, um, I think that to to your point, Shazia, in terms of uh, you know, what does it mean that these are collections that are like conceived of, quote unquote, conceived of, copied, um, designed, uh, cut, you know, like the source, cut, produced, shipped, and on the sales floor within weeks, um, you know, what does that mean in terms of you know how do we bring how do we bring a supply how do we bring a production uh, how do we bring a production model closer to the market that it serves so that if it is going to work in such a way that it turns on the metrics of the market, how do we make sure that it doesn't completely destroy the planet while we do that? I think it's, you yeah. know, it could be interesting as well because, you know, if, if you just started to move things around to be closer where they're going to wind up, I think that that would make a, a real big difference because it would also split up. The amount of um of stuff that that you know that will get I think gets lost, damaged, you know, sort of un- like if you're making thousands of units of something versus a hundred of units of something, you know, there's a lot more waste I think that happens than otherwise. Yeah, and um, I just thought I'm not going to leave the point too much. I just thought the the idea of more sustainable polyester because we we are <laughs> the statement is all about polyester and it's um like um. Yeah, the plastic-based fabric. So should that conversation about sustainability even include plastics? Well, plastics make it possible. No, I'm kidding. That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jordan. I, I... Hi. Do you have anything to add to the conversation? Well, I'm just coming in, so maybe I'll... Uh listen a little bit further on your on the position of plastics here before okay so i'll just do well, shazi was, was gonna shazi was gonna say about um more sustainable plastics i think right shazi? oh yeah i was just gonna say kind of uh same you know it, it's laughable uh which i which i think i think that we're all kind of in agreement with that i mean uh that they, they, they just, it just can't continue like that they they um yeah they 
again, it's about labeling and knowledge. You know, it may, maybe it just has to be, uh, you, you, again, you know, governments, governments lay down the, the rules with regards to fashion labeling and maybe um, if if a garment is going to have polyester in its label, it must have bracket plastic uh, or fossil fuel based um, close bracket so that customers start understanding. Uh, you know, if if we're saying, and I completely agree that knowledge is power, but customers don't understand that polyester is plastic and polyester is fossil fuel based, then you know, yeah, it just. It, I, I don't think I, I don't think it's sustainable for um, ocean life, for for our worlds, for 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 climate change to keep exactly. to keep going down that road. And yeah, uh, so, yeah. So now, and, now do you understand where I found the, the the whole conversation of this target problematic because it was referring to having more sustainable polyester by twenty twenty five. Yeah, it's just it's impossible. I mean, the, here's here's how I could conceivably think of how one could make. Polyester, quote unquote, sustainable. It's still ridiculous. I just, you know, it's fossil fuels left, right, and center over here in Miami. Um, the, uh, I think that if one were to find a way to just completely stop production of all polyester, like overnight, and like, I mean, it was done, no more at the end, and whatever is out there in the market, or in landfills, or you know, or, or you know, in a in a uh, in a warehouse somewhere. If that's all the polyester that has ever been made and will ever be made, and we start to find ways to make it a circular conversation, that's the only way it could possibly be sustainable. Is if it stops immediately, and what we already have is 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 not is used in such ways that it doesn't have to change its uh you know its current state. It would just be altered. Um, without having to put more energy into it and, and uh, have more fumes going to the atmosphere. Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight just why we're leaving the point. And then for Georgia, and I'll just do a, a, a bit of a recap. So that statement to me, based on this conversation, could be an example of greenwashing just because some of the features of the, the statement are not sustainable. But it just sounds like a sustainability claim because they're using the word sustainable polyester in this in the in the statement. So that could be classed as greenwashing for people that are trying to look out for greenwashing but not sure quite sure how to figure that out. Would you guys agree? That's a good And Jordan, you're familiar with the hundred percent. Yeah, like Kashi I think is one of the most recent uh cases that that came up uh for um being convicted with uh, greenwashing, false marketing claims, uh, what have you here in Canada specifically. So, um, and that's where I'm coming from. Um, now, why, why are we stuck on polyester? Like, if, if we know we're trying to raise our consciousness, just going based off the actual room of, uh, the, the title of the room here. Okay. Why yeah. Why yeah. Are we, I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll we, we were responding. We were yeah. responding to a, a mark, uh, a, um, a, 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 a summary of what one company had put out in terms of this is what we're doing to be green. And so it was, it was, let's take that apart and see. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. There's so many better alternatives out there. Like, for instance, I, I was doing some some research on uh, vibration of, of specific uh, products, um, specifically for clothing. And flax and linen are, are very high in vibration. So everything we're wearing, everything that we are laying down in, our bed sheets included, all those things are affecting our energy levels. And we, we already have everything that's that's drawing a ton of energy from us, free radicals. I mean, that's a whole other conversation in itself. But when we're talking about things that give us energy, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Old Testament. If you are, whatever. If you're not, I'm going to I'm gonna give you an example of there was an actual commandment. Well, the, the, Jordan, the I think, Jordan, I think, I think, yeah. that the, I think that the Old Testament would be perfectly it would work here perfectly if we found someone who was using uh, scripture to, to market and they're doing it incorrectly but without that <laughs> exact parallel so there's actually a commandment saying you can't mix linen and uh, linen and flax and I found that fascinating because some early scripts do have have um, an understanding of how energy fields work um, and that's again the conversation but but the point I'm trying to make here is I wanted to find out why you couldn't mix the two. So it, apparently the way the frequencies work is linen would go uh, right to left energy field and flax would go right uh, left to right. So 
they would cancel each other out, which would zero out your the energy field of your clothes. Um, so there goes all the the positive energy that you're. Does it have anything to do with how it's how it's also um, how like in terms of how it's racist or crop? Because that could also you know would be something that would make a lot of uh, sense that it was built in you know a sort of a guide how how to farm. So it's more more so for your clothing. Uh, don't mix those two. So um, when you have something that has a protective um, a protective barrier around it, we just when we're, we're speaking vibrations, that's actually protecting you from free radicals. And a lot, a lot of people don't realize that and, basic um, that a basic yeah. ribbon can actually prevent you from having uh, EMFs. Um, the the it lessens the the dramatic effect of EMFs. And for me, that that um, my wife and I are currently looking on um, procreating and you know it's super difficult like especially we're talking about greenwashing everything in here in Canada that that's organic is coming in plastic and that's leaching in your food too so it's like the sustainability aspect is is huge and I know I'm touching on a lot of points and that's that no, no 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 and I'm, a, I'm ADHD too sir no I totally get it but, but what, you, what, you're, what you're talking about now in terms of this part of it the, the idea of you know these things that are supposedly green or sustainable and they're coming in packaging that is certainly not that's the kind of stuff that we want to call out right now because that's the kind of thing that a consumer can understand very very easily because they're used to that um so yeah, yeah so definitely you know products that use that are like that or, or certain industries that are evil. yeah and i just like to add like i have on the sustainable fashion podcast um this show is called raising your consciousness and we're focusing on greenwashing today as a topic but I have interviewed a, a lady called Alyssa Couture and you can find her on the podcast talking about healthy fashion and she's talking about plant-based fabrics and things like that. And um, she talks about the, the, the relationship with health and the fabrics that we put on our body. So I believe that's something in a whole different, um, a whole nother topic that you can get into when you're thinking about fashion and your relationship with fashion, how it is impacting your health as well and um plastic based um fibers are probably not the best fibers for us to be putting on our bodies to be honest so um i do or washing in, in our yeah yeah so all that being said i'm just going to recap that the definition today greenwashing is the use of marketing to portray to portray an organization's products activities or policies as environmentally friendly when they're not so yeah, the example that we gave is probably a really good example of greenwashing then as we've broke it down, broken it down. And that's what I just wanted to do, just in case people didn't understand why we thought that conversation, that, that statement was problematic. I think from the conversations we've had now, it's clear that it is problematic to have more sustainable polyester or plastic-based um, fibre. Jordan also raises a really interesting point in, in the notion of, you know, it's like maybe their product really is absolutely as green as possible, but once it once it gets put into packaging that isn't, is it then does that count as greenwashing? Is it do they just not know better? Like how how do we quantify that? Yeah, because sustainability is um it's like a um it's a journey, but then it's also it's it's a, a circular process to be sustainable. So if your packaging is not sustainable, but your product is sustainable, you can't say make a sustainability claim. Just as vice versa, if your product is not sustainable, but you're using um, recyclable packaging and you're saying that you're sustainable, it's the same thing, isn't it? I love that point, Bukal. And I think I think when we're even looking at something like uh, like Tesla, that is making an electric car that's supposed to be quote unquote more sustainable, and we look at the impact of lithium mining and for batteries, that is absolutely not sustainable, and it has a higher carbon impact than than uh, an actual gas powered engine. But that whole journey that you mentioned that that we're taking, like it's one step at a time. Like we have to raise raise consciousness, and there, there's different different groups that help elevate that consciousness. But it, it definitely, I, I think what I'm realizing is after doing some activism um, and not to toot my own horn or anything, that nobody likes being, having protesters, like screaming in your face, like nobody's learning yeah. that way. And it's just fascinating to see like even groups like this, like you don't know who's going to pop in here and, and going to take a, a tidbit of, of information to help uh, raise awareness, even with their own friend group, right? 
Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I would say I would say that we're the we're the transition generation, hopefully, because you know, even you know, you were mentioning Tesla and like that um that documentary that um oh my god, what's his name? Uh he got so much flack for it. You, uh the, the American guy with the cap. Oh my god, he's so famous. Who sorry, Sam Michael Wood, that's the one. You know so you know his recent documentary, he got so much no, I he got, uh, he, 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 yeah. What is it? Oh, what happened? No, what was what was his documentary? I, I know nothing about it. Oh yeah, so it's on YouTube, and apparently it got banned and everything at first. And uh, like you know, he he was he was talking about like that that loads of um, loads of companies are greenwashing and loads of green movements in America are greenwashing and stuff. And you know, I think that, but but I I think I, I think that what it is is because he was saying that oh you know all these uh solar panels are that they're made uh they're made in really um carbon intensive ways but but ultimately they're there to to create renewable energy but they don't last very long and and they're made in in uh yeah the the way that they're produced in china is quite um Uh, energy intensive so it's not it's not pure green yeah, it's not pure green. sustainable no, but i think that yeah but, but the, the the thing is you know i think that we are um hopefully if we're if hopefully if we're successful in what we're doing um then yeah we will all just be producing less as a world and that will be a conscious yeah. decision um but but it it takes it takes a lot to yeah. It takes a lot of work to produce less work because you know we yeah. have to take everyone with us, don't we? So we've got fifteen um, minutes. We've got fifteen minutes. This conversation is really going really well, and I'm really enjoying it. But I've got two questions, and back on the back of what you and Jordan have been saying, Shazia, I'm going to throw in the question and and let you guys continue. But I, I, it's in line with what you're saying, so I just thought I'd bring it up now. So why are brands not addressing the critical environment, environmental, and labour issues? in a realistic way so why 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 are they not addressing it in a realistic way and when you say realistic you're you're saying like in a in a way that we know needs to happen it's measurable yeah it's measurable and the impact is going to be seen in a measurable realistic time frame why the, why why are the all the bold statements and the and the um and the the false the false figures and numbers and yeah but this might seem like a really simplistic answer but but the only the only reason that makes sense for me that i'm the founder of my company and these issues are really important to me and i can implement i can implement decisions that benefit my company and the only reason i can think that they wouldn't do that is because you know if if a if a if a company is true to its capitalist foundation its goal is legally and morally and everything its goal is to minimize cost and maximize profit that's what it exists to do so if if that is your goal if that's why you were founded if making clothing is just a means to an end then then that is then you would see that you're you're perfectly legitimate to benefit from greenwashing um but keep your costs low and actually if you want to become greener truly greener it costs more and so you're going to be less profitable and so your shareholders will get mad at you and sell your stock so you know i think i think i think they're disincentivized and they're not rewarded for making choice better choices i mean better for the environment I mean, as far as they're yeah, concerned, they're making better that, choices well, for their shareholders. It's interesting. And, yeah, and, and unless Jordan that. has something, Jordan, do you want to pop in with anything really fast? Because I, I, don't know. I, think, I think it's just fascinating because we, we could all have the best intentions as business owners. Uh, but then you look at Tom's, someone that had a good intention to help impoverished uh, countries in Africa uh, that some children didn't have shoes. So every one that you bought and I'm, I'm sure everybody knows the, the business model and ends up impacting local cobblers and in some of those countries. And that's like, you don't have that intention to, <laughs> to screw up uh, a place that you're tra- in- first intended to help. Um, so sometimes there's just like things that you have to discover, like the mistakes you have to make. And um, 
I actually had I recently had a, a millionaire point out to me. Sometimes you have to go in guns a blazing and find out what's happened first without overthinking. Because sometimes, for for myself, I can overcomplicate something so much so where I'm not even going to get started. And if a lot of people have that same issue that where they're they're driven by empathy to do good to the world, but then their empathy they have an empathy overload because they are too scared to start. I think that's that's another barrier to entry to actually create. Uh, positive change for the world too so you can almost like overthink um the good that you're trying to accomplish in the world to the to the point where you're just not going to make it happen so i back to bukula's point i think i think the journey it's all a journey and and just making sure that we're just conscious of the impact that we're actually making is is i i just want to touch really quickly upon um the notion or, or rather the, the reality of um you know having shareholders and you you know you need to be able to be um uh, you know, something that is not necessarily just competitive in a marketplace, but one that uh, has a um, has confidence in its um, in its uh, you know in the people who who own the business, right? And so, if you look at uh, what happened with Oatly um, just recently, Oatly, um, you know, it, it had its IPO, I think, in like maybe May, and things were going along really, you know, it 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 jumped up. I think it started at like 13, and it like went up to like 30, and it was like chugging along. And um, and then there was these. There, uh, a firm came out and said, um, you know, they're they're not as green as you think they are. And so people started looking into them. And this and today it's trading at seventeen, sixteen dollars. It, it in, in like in three weeks it just like plummeted. So I think that there actually is equity in being a green brand and saying that that's what you want to do because clearly we invested in something and then pulled out when we realized that that's not really what the intentions are. I, I think it had a lot less to do with its market cap as, as it was its actual ethical practices and what it was saying. Yeah. That's a great yeah. point. I think, I think a lot of public relations firms that I've worked with uh, before with my marketing campaigns, a lot of their uh, ploys to actually just bury those mistakes, they just don't do it. Own it, own the mistake, and show, show your shareholders and the public that you're actually going to, try and do better moving forward right and whether or not your audience agrees with you or not those those firm loyal consumers will keep following you if you genuinely apologize and say you're going to do better you know what i mean that's yeah yeah but, but Sam, Sam, samuel sorry i don't know about oatly so much so were they were they sort of like eco eco aware in the first place and they got called out yeah um, so it, uh, oatly oatly is um is sort of like like uh in many ways, it'll sort of be like, or it was on, it was on track to be sort of like Xerox or Kleenex. So it was, it's oat, it's oat milk and oat, and oat based products. Um, so, you know, it, 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 uh, it has part of this, you know, sort of, um, moving away from the, uh, things that we know about agriculture or rather livestock that is not green and moving away from that into something that is sustainable, uh, you know, being plant based. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was sort of their thing. It was about, uh, being, being green, not just yeah. vegan, but, but truly, you know, part of the next wave of this is how we, we do things now. In, in... I've got the final question because we've got like about ten, 10 more minutes or so. Um, and it, it does tie in with what we're saying again. I think I love the flow of this conversation. It's just like really set me up for each question that I have. Um, it's um would you still buy from a brand that you discovered is actually greenwashing and what can consumers do to hold brands accountable i think we touched on this a little bit earlier but jeff jordan is in the conversation as well now um so how what can we do as consumers to hold brands accountable and i think it's like interesting what you were saying about Oatly as well i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna storm you know their their headquarters and burn the place down no, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to tell my friends. <laughs> I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to tell my friends not to buy it. You know, I, I'm going to actively, uh, you know, be, I'm going to be a, a, a real snob about it. I do that right now with, um, with Urban Outfitters, Free People, We People, Beholden, and Anthropology. They're the scum of the earth. They're horrible, horrible people. Um, and they treat their people like absolute shit. Um, but excuse my language. Excuse my language. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I get it on a soapbox personally. Yeah. That's interesting. I think I take a little bit more of a patient approach where 
if I do a little bit deeper research, okay, are these, do the shareholders have the best interest of the company? Most likely not. Does the founder want to continue to steer this company in, in a positive direction because of their earth and that is their true mission and they're not going to uh, be swayed in that direction? Because we've seen, we've seen visionaries like Steve Jobs that wasn't necessarily swayed by their stock or their shareholders rather. Uh, was he for a greener earth? I don't think so, but <laughs> but that's beside the topic. And, and I think it's important to recognize that we're all humans. We're going to screw up. And if we're steering a ship as a human, we're going to deviate sometimes. And I think if, if your message is in alignment with what you're trying to do, um, I, I might be a little bit more gracious uh, to see how it plays. Jordan, I'm so jealous of the cicadas in the background. London is freezing right now and you're just making me wish I was somewhere really hot. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so um I like I like what Jordan has said. I, I understand um Samuel's passion. I don't know if um Shazi has anything to add, but um for me I definitely think some grace in this time frame that we're going through is probably needed um, by consumers, but consumers need to really raise that consciousness and know what they're dealing with and like know when they're being lied to, obviously that's not really good and they should call out brands. We should definitely be calling out brands when, when we when we find out that they're not doing the right thing. But then as Jordan was saying that that patience that maybe they are trying in the background, maybe it is harder um, to make that change and as we know all all of us here that work in sustainability that this is like been a uphill struggle for many years for many people the climate is changing now and we're seeing the effects and we're running out of time in terms of like really making making the changes that we need to do so the pressure is on so ha- having that period of like grace to kind wait of, for like, call it is, is this Yes, Samuel, the heat is on. <laughs> so, 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 so the whole point is like everybody needs to be part of this conversation now. It's not like all oh, those sustainability people or those activists in the background shouting about the climate. Like it's everybody's world, and these fast fashion brands or these brands that are greenwashing and everything, like they actually are human beings in those businesses that have to live in this world as well. So. They have to they have to come to a point where they make a change and um we have to just wait for that penny to drop really I think. What do you think, Shazia? Um oh my goodness. I mean, like I can you know, I obviously I'm in agreement with Samuel and I love the passion. I love I love I love that, you know, you're just cut ties with all these brands and stuff and and you know and I do agree that we have to be kinder and more compassionate and allow companies to to go through this um to go through this uh, more consciousness however I think that I, I think that we shouldn't give them too much uh, we shouldn't cut them too much slack actually because I feel that like I I gave a lecture on this um and I, and I raised I raised the point that I'm about to make like for a university lecture that I gave recently and the the point is that whether you're a fast fashion brand or a luxury brand um your whole your your whole business model is based on screwing your suppliers and people in your value chain once that product reaches your shop floor you pay your staff minimum wage and maybe the london living wage if you're in london you know or if you're you're kind of um if, if you're generous enough to do that but this is the case in luxury as well so whether you're whether you're buying a handbag which is 12.99 or a handbag that's 12,000 uh, pounds or dollars that person who's selling you that bag is still making minimum wage and you know so even their, their their supervisor their manager isn't making like an amazing wage yet when you get to head office when you get to executive when you get to c-suite they're really raking it in so my point is that the money is there it's just not there for 99 percent of the company or the suppliers or the vendors and i just think that that is an inherently corrupt and and 
it's not it's not a sustainable business model let alone sustainable for the planet and the environment and everything i just i just don't find you know because we all pay as taxpayers we're all paying to subsidize people's wages that because they're getting benefits from the government because they're not being paid enough to do like a full week's work and um so the money is there and the money is there to make green changes tend to incorporate more sustainability and so i just yeah th- there's this foot dragging because companies are rewarded for short term positive results and not and not for um ecological positive yeah, results yeah. you know so yeah i yeah, i, 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 I jump in with a case study here quick yeah yeah Please. we've got we've got about a minute off yeah so I'm, I'm Jordan. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Um, I'm here in Canada and I'm, I'm a little bit fanatical about water. Um, so when I see a company, company like Nestle that their CEO formally went on record by saying he wanted to privatize water, you know, he's top one enemy on my list. So the beautiful thing that I saw from 2011 till now is that consumers voted with their dollars against Nestle and a Canadian company um bought bought their water division here in Canada and is much more mindful of of the actual uh, water extraction method and avoiding indigenous land um and just being respectful uh because they're rooted in BC and they're um have 50% indigenous run here in, in Canada which is exciting and it's um they're they're a company called Ice River um and just seeing the fact that Nestle actually had to close their water division down in Canada just speaks to how how impactful consumers voting with their dollars supersedes um, any a protest that, that's happening outside of their headquarters. And and what I, I'm going to back this up with when you have different apps that you can scan products and find out what their backstory is. I think crowdsourcing the the issues here rather than making it. Uh, a country to country issue, making it a global issue where you're crowd funding an idea or um, crowdsourcing an idea rather to solving these problems when everybody can scan an item and find out what their backstory is. That to me is an exciting way to utilize technology to solve these issues because if these companies are going bankrupt, you better believe that they're going to start uh, checking how the consumers, how they can better respond to the consumer. Yeah. But um just to Shazia's point before about, you know, how this is also a luxury conversation too. Um this week, uh you know, the the, the wealthiest man in the world is now um uh Bernard Arnold, uh no, excuse me, the owner of LVMH. He's surpassed Jeff Bezos. Um you know, it's a hundred and ninety something billion. Um and just you know, just to give you an idea of and anyone who's listening to this, because this is raising your consciousness. These are some of the brands that are covered under LVMH. And I'll read them really fast with Cola because I know we need to close up. But it's just how yeah. this is just how big these things have gotten. Um, in the clothing section, we have Louis Vuitton, Givenchy, Marc Jacobs, Kenzo, Laura Piana, Pink, Moynat, Nicholas Kirkwood, uh, J.W. Anderson, Berluti, Pucci, Nounis, DKNY, Fendi, Everyone. Dior, Celine, Edun, and Loewe. And that's just their clothing, not not even their cosmetics, the watches and jewelry, all of the spirits, all of the real estate. It's just one little piece of this conversation. And so, you yeah. know, you really you yeah. really need to to keep an eye out for what these things and, are uh, when you make your and decisions. There, and yeah, definitely. Thank you, Sam, for reading that. And and just to just to add on to your point as well, it's just that basically, you know, if you add up all the turnover of every single sustainable fashion brand in the world, it is not close to even one single one of those brands with with their turnover and so the 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 playing field is not level at all and you know that yeah there's there's quite an uphill struggle for sustainable brands thank yeah i feel like from these last moments in in this conversation there's so many topics that could come out and i don't could be here for like two hours if I come with more questions on like um what you guys have brought up I think it's been a great a really great conversation and um yeah I think we're going to be back next session we're going to be talking about circular fashion so um 
I'd love to have you all you all back to kind of share what you think about circular fashion, circular and um, I'm only co- I'm only coming up. Yeah, Jordan, you've been amazing. I definitely want to see you back here um, in our rooms. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to wrap up the conversation. Um, so this has been the Sustainable Fashion Podcast, and this show is Raising Your Consciousness. It's a Green Room original show, and the conversation takes place every Thursday at 11 p.m. BST. That's 6 p.m. Eastern, um, and it's always here on Green Room. And, yeah, so... I think it's amazing. I would love to have, have more conversations on the back of what Shazi was saying. Um, there's a few things that I did think about in terms of like, what is the solution here um, based on a few points that you've made. And it's that idea of like unlimited growth, that this idea that brand, that capitalism and brands feel that we live in a finite planet growth ongoing growth is not actually sustainable and realistic and I think that's one of the key points that we need to address and I love what Jordan was saying as well about um that transparency having that technology that can you can track where where products come from and and what's involved in that journey as well I think that's really like really interesting conversations that are offshoots of this conversation that are in my mind um definitely I've really enjoyed um, talking about greenwashing and I'm glad we were able to identify it and like share with people why it's really damaging and um, yeah, the solutions and the ideas that you've put forward have been amazing. So thank you very much everybody for coming. Yeah, Thank so, you, Paula. Um, thank you, Jordan. It was wonderful having you up here. Um, Shazia, always nice to see you and everyone in the audience. Thanks. Sustainable Fashion Podcast is in partnership with the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. <laughs>